Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. This is episode number 114. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu, Alkinu, our Father, our King. Lord is with um, not heavy hearts, but certainly uh, concerned hearts that we come before you tonight, um, especially given the state of affairs in America, um, with the current um, political landscape and um, a lot of the confusion that's taking place with the elections. And uh, Lord, we're just the people who need your clarity. We come before you and we first and foremost recognize that you are our God and that we have declared that we will serve you and you alone. Ultimately, Lord, you are uh, the one who governs our lives. You are the one who leads. You are the one who, who inspires. You are the one who, who um, gives us uh, empowerment, gives us the um, uh, the will to wake up every day and to to uh, to go about uh, our li- conducting our lives in a manner that's pleasing to you, Lord, we pray that your precious Holy Spirit will continue to lead us and guide us in all of the matters concerning um, not just the political decisions that we make, uh, the direction that our country is going, uh, Lord, but we are commanded to continue to pray for those in leadership, regardless of who's going to become the president, uh, regardless of, of uh, who will be elected in the various government uh, seats uh, in the Senate and the House and, and various um, politicians around the country. Lord, we, we, we know that you are uh, the one who puts leaders in place, and it is your will that we pray for those leaders. So we will do that. We will pray, even if we don't completely agree with attitudes and policies and characters and personalities, um, we can agree that the Word of God is sound, it's sure, it's, it's, it's our foundation for life. We're going to follow that blueprint, Lord. Thank you that you've allowed us to partner with you in prayer, that you're continuing to change situations through prayer, and in those places where the situations don't change, you're changing our attitudes. You're changing our hearts. You're changing our outlook on the situation. So uh, continue to show yourself faithful to us as communities, as families, as individuals. Continue to heal us. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. And Lord, we need your healing. You are the one who can heal us. We're going to look to you, uh, even though we still uh, uh, avail ourselves of 
doctors and medicines and vaccines. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, Lord, you are the one who is in control. And so we, we acknowledge that. Thank you for continuing to show yourself faithful to us. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for helping me to um, move to a different location here in South Korea. Uh, I ask that you'll keep me safe, um, that you'll continue to lead me and guide me. Um, to make the right decisions, uh, where to find employment, um, uh, what places uh, I should be moving into, uh, keep me safe, uh, keep me um, healthy um, and safe from the pandemic out here as well, since it's a worldwide thing. Um, continue to uh, help me to trust in you for my finances. Um, and Lord, thank you for all the people who are giving and sharing of their own resources and pouring into my ministry and helping me to be able to make uh, this transition from point A to point B, uh, it's, it costs money to go from place to place, and uh, people have been giving, and they're continuing to give, and I just want to bless people. Uh, like Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And then he proceeded to heal the man. Lord, I can't reach out and heal the people who've been giving me money, but I can share words of Torah. The thing that you've gifted me with, I'm going to share with those um, who are sharing with me, and so uh, thank you. It's my way of saying thank you to those who are sharing with me. Bless us tonight for our, our little Bible study. Um, uh, raise us up. Uh, be with those who have joined me in the live study tonight and be with those who can't make it but wanted to make it. Uh, be with them in spirit and continue to draw us close to you. And We'll be careful to give you the praise and glory. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me week after week. My name is Ariel Ben-Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tanwa in Thornton, Colorado. And like many other congregations, we try to practice social distancing. We try to do the safe thing. But unfortunately, sometimes uh, there are illnesses. And as a result, um, our uh, congregation is uh, temporarily canceled. The, the Shabbat service was canceled today for this Saturday morning uh, due to uh, some COVID cases that are affecting the Harvest community. So keep us in your prayers. But uh, for those of you who are watching the YouTube video right now, I've got my own congregational website pulled up just briefly. Go to graftedin.com and you can find us online and you can watch the recent sermons. Pastor Mark has been in a, 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 a series of sermons where he's talking about um, uh, holy days, special days. We came out of the festivals and he talked about Sabbath and things like that. And now he's talking about Halloween, uh, even though that's uh, on the calendar, it's passed, but uh, the, the, the topic's still uh, relevant. You can see on my screen right now, you can watch the live stream that we uploaded to YouTube, to our YouTube channel, and watch the video there from the safety of your own home. But again, pray for us at the Harvest. Pray for my congregational community that the Lord will continue to uh, have his hand of healing on us and that he'll protect us from this pandemic as well. And then I'll go ahead and plug my um, own uh, resources as well. Since you're online, go to www.com tetzetorah.com. I'll spell it out for you. It's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. And that's my own home congregational website uh, where I conduct the live studies. But beyond that, I have lots of other resources that you can see kind of parked in the upper right corner. There's a cluster of links. Click on whatever catches your eye and avail yourself of the resources that I make available for you. Many of them on a weekly basis, but Essentially, I've got written commentaries on various topics. I've got uh, YouTube videos on various topics. I've got iTunes podcasts on various topics. Um, so just whatever you can make uh, uh, 
use of there. All of it's there for free. The live internet studies is something that we conduct each week, Saturday evening from 7 p.m. to approximately 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Just adjust your clock wherever you live against the Central Standard Time in America. If you happen to be on other sides of the world, I was just dialoguing via email with um, one reader from Tens, what is it, Tasmania, which is what south of just down underneath the land down under, underneath uh, Australia, he invited me out to his congregation and uh, said I could join him if I had the resources, if I had the free time to go down there. I thought, wow, that's great. And then the very next email I opened was from one of my readers in um, Papua New Guinea, who uh, listens to me and uh, watches my YouTube videos and things like that. And then a few emails uh, from there, I had a, uh, a listener from um, uh, uh, I think it's somewhere in Africa, but I can't remember the name of the country off the top of my head. Um, it might be Nigeria, but uh, he he also invited me to say, hey, you've got an open invitation, invitation to come visit us if you ever get a chance. So it's just wonderful to be able to use resources such as the Internet to be able to reach out to people around the world. Here I am in South Korea. I've got people listening to me right now on my live uh, uh, Skype class who are in primarily in America, but then I've got people around the world in different parts. Uh, I've got a, a, another reader who's a regular reader who's in um, Ireland who interacts with me via, via email. So it's just wonderful to be able to reach out. And, you know, I want to give the Lord the, 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 um, the, uh, the glory for uh, lives that are changed as a result of the, um, the ability to reach out to people. So live internet studies each week. Um, let me just give you some of the brief logistics real quick. Uh, this is episode number 114. Uh, it did not record two weeks ago, so we're going to borrow that same number again and just call it this episode and pray that it's going to record right this week. Uh, the day's date for the calendar for, let me just date stamp it, is November 7th, 2020 for uh, most of you on, on that side of the world, America, I'm thinking. Saturday evenings from 7 p.m. to approximately 8 p.m. We've got two topics tonight, as usual, for a one-hour-long study. 30 minutes, first segment. Uh, we're going to be continuing through our Romans 14 Unplugged Feasts and Fast and Food. Oh, my. We're in part 33 tonight, and we're continuing through uh, that chapter, Romans 14, just kind of taking it verse by verse and taking it slowly. And then for segment two, we'll continue into the Exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity. We're in paper two, Yahweh and Yeshua, part 50. And again, we're working our way through a commentary that I put together. And this is, we're just going to go week by week until we finish the written notes and producing YouTube videos and iTunes podcasts and things like that. We'll watch a little video tonight. I think we watched this two weeks ago, but as I mentioned, uh, nothing recorded. So uh, for those of you who were with me live two weeks ago, um, this will be a repeat. John 3, 17 through 21, he that believeth not is condemned already. And as I already mentioned, if you'd like to join us week after week live, you're just going to need Skype and um, find a way to get Skype, uh, get access to Skype. If you've got a Skype account, great. If you've got the Skype app, great. Uh, desktop, laptop, smartphone, iPad, iPhone, iWatch, is it iWatch? I think it's called Apple Watch. Um, it probably works on all of those platforms. So get Skype and come and plug in. Uh, the main thing you're going to need is the group link, which you can get from me. Go to my website at tatesator.com. Scroll to the very bottom of any of the pages to the footer section. Look for the little icon that looks like an envelope. Click it. Shoot me an email. Tell me you'd like to join the Skype class. I'd be more than happy to send you the Skype link. And while you're down there, I always mention... Uh, take notice of the little yellow donate button. Um, if the Lord is blessing you to be a blessing to others such as myself, and he's 
given you resources that uh, maybe surplus, um, then I'd be blessed to receive um, uh, those gifts and donations and, and offerings and things like that from you. Um, uh, I'm blessed to be able to uh, put these shows together for free using my own resources, uh, but Lord knows <laughs> uh, I can't do it all on my own, so I'm just blessed to be able to partner with you and, and we can do this thing together, okay? Alrighty, uh, let's turn now to the liturgy. We're going to use the same liturgy I used two weeks ago since it didn't record. For those of you who are with me on my live class, you saw this last week, or two weeks ago, I'm sorry. And so just bear with me. Um, during um, uh, the turning over of the Torah scroll that we did around the fall festivals during uh, the, the last of the fall feast at the very end of Sukkot we have a festival known as Simchat Torah or Shemini at the eighth day of assembly and they overlap with one another and during that time in rabbinic communities we take the Torah scroll which is now at the parked at the end of Deuteronomy and we re-roll it after reading the last few verses of Deuteronomy re-roll it to the book of to the section of Genesis which is no easy feat right no easy task um, that's done in traditional synagogues. Typically now they just have two scrolls. One's open to Deuteronomy and one's open to Genesis. And what we do is we read the last few verses or the last chapter or so in Deuteronomy and then we turn right around without stopping and read the first few verses or chapter in Genesis. And this creates a seamless transition as if the Torah is like a clock. It's just going, it's, it's going over and over and over. And the idea is that, that God's word should never stagnate in our lives. And that's the picture that the rabbis preserve for us. And I think that's a really great uh, tradition in, in traditional Judaism that has been preserved. So I'm going to simulate that by reading, if you look on my screen, I'm going to read the last, just the last three or so verses out of Deuteronomy. And then without stopping, I'm going to turn right, jump over into Genesis and read the first three or four or five verses there and make it create this seamless transition so that we are reading the Torah over and over again. And indeed, really, we should just be reading the whole Bible over and over again, but I'm just imitating what Judaism does by reading the Torah scroll because their scrolls are only the first five books. So follow along with me. Those of you with me in the live class, you can see this on my screen. I've got uh, uh, Bible Hub's tool pulled up right now, BibleHub.com, and I've got Deuteronomy from the ESV pulled up on the left side of the screen, and I've got the Masoretic Hebrew on the right side of the screen. So let me start right there. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10. I'll read 10, 11, 12, then I'll jump right into, um, I think I'll read the English and the Hebrew on for Deuteronomy, and I'll jump right over into Genesis and read the English and the Hebrew and go like that, okay? So let's start right there. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Verse 11. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. Verse 12. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of Israel. And now over on the right side of the screen, the uh, Hebrew reads over here. Verse 11. And verse 12. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. 
The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4, And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Verse 5, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Reading the Hebrew over on the right side of the screen. Brishit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz. Verse 2. V'ha'aretz ha'ita tohu v'avohu v'choshek al p'nei tohum v'ruach Elohim merachefet al p'nei ha'mayim. Verse 3. V'ayomer Elohim yehi or v'yehi or. Verse 4. V'ayara Elohim et ha'or kitov v'yabdel Elohim ben ha'or uven ha'choshek. And verse 5, Vayikra Elohim lo'or yom v'la'choshek kara layla. Vayihi erre, vayihi voker yom echad. And that will be the liturgy from the Torah part of your Bible. Let's turn now to the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, the Brit Chadasha, whatever you're used to calling it. And we're going to read the passage that directly links us to our Roman study. We read this in the past, we'll read it in the future. And it's just Romans 14 verses, I think I'll read the first six verses, because that's that'll that'll carry us over into the verse we're going to look, be looking at. Romans 14 verse 1, uh, starting right there on this uh, left side of the screen, this is the ESV. Paul says, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And the final Pasik, verse 6, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while, he, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Okay, let's go back and read the up and read the Greek. We're starting on the right side of the screen right here with the uh, SBL GNT version of the Greek here. Um, the Greek says, "Tan de astenunta te piste pras lambaneste me es dia Christes dialegismon." Verse two, "Has min pistue fagin panta ha de astenun la canta estie." Verse three, "Ha estion tan." Me estianta me exuthenato, ha de me estion, ton estianta me crineto, ha de osgar alton praselabato. Verse 4. Is that right? Yeah, that's the only one. Verse 4. Su tis e hakrinon, alatrion, to idio, curio, steke e pipte, statesatai, de dunete garahot. Kurias stesai autan. Verse 5. Has min gar krine, krine himeron, par himeron, has de krine pasan himeron hekastos, in to idio noi prase pedroforesto. 
And the final verse, verse 6, which contains a little variant, like a, a, a manuscript difference between the main manuscript families, and I'll tell you about that a little bit later. Ha fronon ten himeron curio frone, and then in brackets the variant, kai ha me fronon ten himeron curio u frone, end of bracket. And then we start with the, with the shorter reading, which is likely the variant itself, the shorter reading. Ha estion curie estie euchariste, car, to theo gar, I'm sorry, kai ha me estion curio uc estie, kai euchariste, to theo. And that'll be the liturgy for the uh, Apostolic Scriptures. All right, it's about 20 minutes into our study tonight. Let's turn to the short little video and watch that. John 3, 17 through 21, He that believeth not is condemned already. Let's watch the video, and then when it's over, maybe we can talk about it, okay? So just sit back and uh, watch the video. It's already self-narrative, and you should be able to hear and see everything that's on my screen, all right? You ready? Here we go. Welcome to A Minute or Two with the Word. I'm your host, Torah teacher Ariel, where every week or so, we take a look at a relevant passage of Scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. In the previous video, we talked about Noach and the wicked generation that he lived in. Sadly, we must also admit that the imaginations of the hearts of men are continually evil. And so, as the Torah has promised, God's judgment must come once again. In fact, according to the Torah, when the provision of a righteous and holy God has already been manifested among mankind, then the world is, in a sense, judged already. Why? Because rejection of the provision of God in the midst of our own sinful state of existence is nothing short of rejection of God himself, and rejection of God equals judgment. This is why the Torah says of the generation living in Noach's day, quote, he put the world under condemnation, end quote. That's Hebrews 11, verse 7. This is also why it is said of Yeshua's first coming, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. That's John 3, 17 through 21, as rendered from the KJV. We learn from these verses that not only are unbelieving sinful men condemned by the provision of Yeshua's bloody atonement, but that Hashem's ultimate solution to the dilemma facing mankind today is accomplished solely by faithfully trusting and accepting His only and unique Son. Therefore, what is expected of us? The Torah is consistently clear on this point. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him.
Um, just want to remind everyone that I've got tons of videos. Well, I can't say tons. Probably about five or six hundred or so uh, videos available on my YouTube channel. Go to um, youtube.com forward slash C for channel forward slash Tate's Tour Ministries, like you can see on my screen right now and avail yourself of all the videos that I've got there. Um, I've got many different uh, city series that I upload, uh, live internet studies, short questions, short answers, exploring the Shema, what's on Paul's mind, study through Galatians, minute or two of the word, like we just watched the short little two to five minute inspirational type videos. I've got a short little study that I did on Hebrews chapter seven through 10, that'll get you through um, studying the, uh, the sacrifices in light of the apostolic scriptures and things like that. Then I've got an ongoing Torah Observant Shomer Mitzvot series uh, that covers different topics at length um, that I'd like to recommend. And then uh, last but not least, I've got the Holy Convocations Feasts of the Lord series that are available with all the blue thumbnails there. And then the different playlists that are available um, in forms of my different um, studies through the five books of Moses themselves. So click on all of those videos. Uh, if you'd like to see the videos in the order that I upload them, click on the little video tab like you see me doing right now on the screen. And um, that will um, or sort them in the, from the latest, and the latest video will be in the upper left corner there. And as always, if you're going to visit my YouTube channel and watch a video, well then be sure to subscribe so that you can be in the loop and know when I'm uploading videos. Also, I like to recommend that you um, uh, hit the little uh, thumbs up if you like what the, the content that you're viewing um, and leave me a little comment to let me know why you liked what you what you viewed or if you don't like it then tell me what you differ with I'm fine with that as well thirdly um, hit the I suppose I've got these out of order hit the little bell for notifications after you subscribe and then hit the little thumbs up and then um, uh, that way you're in the loop and then lastly hit the little share button and share these videos with your friends on your social media and things like that and then that way we can all share in the uh, the study together okay all right, I think that'll do it for the, the little plug on that. Let's close that tab. And let's turn now to Romans 14, Unplugged, Feasts and Fasts and Food. Oh, my. And let's take about 15 minutes or so and work our way through this. Um, it's easy to get lost in a study like this because we, we go week after week and we bite off just a little bit by a little bit, and then we have a little break when I'm moving or my computer's not working or something like that. So... There will be a little bit of um, catch-up to do, but basically, I wrote a study. It's available on my website at tatesatora.com on Romans 14, and the, the it's as short as I can make it. The overall gist of the study is trying to ascertain whether or not Paul's message to his readership here is his way of saying to everyone, both Jew and Gentile, you guys just need to erase all your differences, whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Whether you've been raised to keep Torah or not keep Torah, all of that doesn't matter. And whether you're not, you were raised to keep kosher and keep a special Sabbath day, all of that. What ultimately matters is that we need to um, uh, come together and worship together, worship God together, uh, recognize Messiah Yeshua together, and put our differences aside and don't let those little, those petty things divide us. And so the general overall um, uh, perspective of this chapter from our, our standard uh, historical uh, Christian approach, religious approach, um, again, this is not counting religious Judaism because they don't study the Book of Romans, but from a traditional Christian approach, as far as Messianic Judaism is concerned, 
Um, if you'd like to be a Messianic Jew and keep Torah and keep kosher and keep Sabbath, that's fine. Just don't judge people for not keeping those things. And if you're a Gentile Christian, on the other hand, and you're not Jewish, and you don't want to keep kosher, you don't want to keep Sabbath, you don't want to keep special days and things like that, that's fine as well. The big point is that we need to just accept one another and love one another. And so that's the overall thrust of the um, perspective that we uh, walk away with when we listen to sermons on this passage and um, and things like that. And um, it sounds okay at, at the surface. I mean, I'll be honest with you, it sounds okay, sounds uh, workable. Um, but here, here's the challenge. When we go back in uh, to 2,000 years ago to Paul's day, we're going to find that the, that type of message where Paul would have been telling Gentiles, uh, believers, you don't have to worry about keeping Sabbath and kosher, and would, certain, and would have been telling Jewish believers, um, you don't have to keep those things anymore either if you don't want to. Um, in other words, all of these decisions that you make as a community, uh, Sabbath keeping, kosher keeping, festivals, and all those things, all of that's up to vote. You know, let's let's you know send in your provisional ballot, uh, send in your mail-in by vote. Right? No, I'm just teasing you seriously. Um, let's put it up to a vote. No, I actually historically Paul probably would not have gotten away with that type of um, logical process of allowing God's commands to be put to a popular vote. So we've got to uh, um, rediscover this passage from his historical perspective, and then once we feel like we've got a grasp on what this passage means to us historically, we can then launch uh, into a modern day application for our own communities and see where we can make some halakha, some group policies. So that's what I'm doing with this commentary. To the best of my ability, I'm trying to find out what this letter meant to the recipients first, how they would have interacted with the terminology, and then uh, from there launch into a practical application and say, ask the question, what does this, what does this verse mean to you? What does it mean to me today? How can I apply it to my life? as a Messianic Jewish man. So we're in this section where we're asking this question of uh, verses 5 through 9, are Christians free to worship God any day of the week? Because if you've noticed, if you look on my screen, in verse 5 and 6, Paul comes out saying one person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And then verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, gives thanks to God. That's from the ESV. And then we've got some, some Greek that we're going to look at it here just in a bit. And the point is, the question is asked, is Paul putting the Sabbath day to a vote? Is he saying to the communities of his day, some of you guys who are Jewish are bringing a Sabbath observance into the equation, and some of you guys who are Gentiles are bringing a non-Sabbath day, maybe a Sunday worship. And so I, Paul, am going to play the mediator between the two of you, and I'm going to tell you that it really doesn't matter whether you keep Sabbath or not, and it doesn't matter whether you keep Sunday or not. What what you guys need to do is just kind of make a decision, put up, put it up to a vote. Um, you know, get your ballots in, get your provisional ballots in, get your mail-in ballots in. Make sure there are no hanging chads or anything like that, no dimpled votes. Uh, and then uh, count the votes, right? <laughs> make sure the tally's right. And if you have to put it up for a recount, do that. Uh, but once you have all your votes in, then um, um, come to a decision as a community. And whatever you guys decide on, then I, Paul, sign off on it as well. Uh, you know, whatever you guys are on board with, I'm on board with. Is that the way we should interpret this passage? So that's the section that we're in. And I'm not ashamed to tell you my answer uh, where, I, where I think Paul's going with this. 
I think, and then I'll jump right into the study, I think this is my the bottom line up front, right? The bluff, the bottom line, the 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 the, the TLDR version, right? Too long, didn't read. Um, I think that Paul is not talking about Sabbath days when he says one person esteems one day as better than another. I think there's a very strong case that, given the surrounding context, that Paul is actually talking about optional fasting days. What days were certain communities fasting on in the Jewish community? What days were the Christians adopting along with uh, the the Jews in the community as fast days? And since the Bible is uh, noticeably silent on mandating uh, fast days, then they became days that could be voted on or days that could be decided uh, for different communities. And the point is that um, on those days of fasting came along the whether the abstention or the, 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 the eating of certain foods. And along with that, we had Jews who were already abstaining from certain foods based on what the Torah said. And add to that, um, the absten- abstaining from foods that were ostensibly tainted from idolatrous practices in the, you know, the Greco-Roman society of the first century. So all of that come together to say that it's unlikely that Paul is talking about a Sabbath versus Sunday issue debate here. It's certainly too early in history to bring up a Sabbath versus Sunday. That's not going to come along for another couple hundred years, uh, in my estimation, and based on the studies that I've um, undertaken. So it's better not to read Paul saying, you know, if you want to keep Sabbath, great. If you want to keep Sunday, great. Instead, what Paul is really telling the people, hey, if you want to fast on this day, that's fine. If you don't want to fast on this day, that's fine. And on your fast day, if you want to abstain from food, that's fine. And if you don't want to abstain from that food, that's fine. Uh, But what I, Paul, recommend is that we, as a community of God, we all line up with the Word of God, which means we are keeping kosher according to what God's Word tells us as a community of God, both Jews and Gentiles and Messiah. We do what God says, and when it comes to holy days, we certainly hold those days as well. In fact, he's not even really bringing Sabbath into the discussion. Uh, it's very unlikely that he is. Um, and even if he is, it's not a, 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 a something that's debatable, open for debate. So let's look at this. Um, I've got this little excursus in the middle of my commentary, and I read part of this last uh, two weeks ago, and I need to read part of it again because it didn't record. I'm only going to read um, uh, just you know th- this first section here. I've got a lengthy quote from a gentleman that substantiates the first part. So let me just read part of this. Um, uh, what I said two weeks ago is that uh, while perhaps not central to addressing the immediate issue of Romans 14, 5, and 6, a uh, question at hand, are Christians uh, free to worship God any day of the week? Nevertheless, one of my keen longtime store buddy, uh, Torah study buddies, who's actually in the class right now, uh, his name begins with an L and ends with an E, and it's not uh, the, the married gentleman. <laughs> it's, the other, it's the younger one. You, you know who I'm talking about. Um, Four-letter name. Uh, he brought it to my attention. Uh, he's fond of pointing out that many Bible readers may not be aware of the fact that in verse 6 there's a significant variant in the Greek manuscripts when comparing the 16th century Tectus Receptus and other related Byzantine-type manuscripts, such as the Stephanus, the scriber under the Byzantine majority, and the GNT with the older yet more recently discovered minority Alexandrian texts, such as the Nessie Aland, uh, UBS, the Westcott and Horde, and the Tischendorf types of manuscripts. So, all I'm trying to say is, we've got a variant. There are two main uh, textual families when it comes to Bible translations that that you can pick up in the store today, your English translations, ESV, KJV, NASB, NIV, all those types of Bibles. Um, Most of them are relying on two primary types of manuscript families uh, that fall into two broad camps. And I'm I'm putting a little um, screenshot on my screen right now in post-production that shows some of those details between those two manuscript families. But the bottom line is it, it ends up 
resulting in when we're talking about translations it ends up being since some manuscript families contain more text in the Greek than others we end up with longer versions of a, of a, of a passage than we do with uh, another version so if you compare like say KJV versus maybe NIV or KJV with ESV or something like that NESV then you'll find like a longer version versus a shorter version and comparing those two Bibles and that's just what's going on and so um, uh, what I go on to say is that, um, starting on here, basically some Bibles show a shorter reading for verse 6 and some Bibles show a longer reading for verse 6. But in my opinion, as a Bible student, the overall general message that Paul was trying to convey to his original audience seems largely unaffected no matter which manuscript representation we believe to be original version of the letter. So we have a longer textual Greek and we ask the question, is this the longer version? And we have a shorter version, and we ask ourselves, was this a scribal error? Is this, was it meant to be longer at first, and then somehow it got chopped out? Or perhaps Paul actually wrote the shorter version, and then scribes came along and added words that weren't originally there. And so people who were like into textual criticism and kind of biblical purists, kind of absolutists, um, kind of want to know, okay, I want to know exactly which one's the most accurate one, because I, I'm going to base my Bible translation on the, which one's more accurate. Well, unfortunately, we may not know with absolute certainty which one is the, which one, is the one that Paul wrote, the longer version versus the shorter one. And uh, it's within that um, thought that uh, I say that while not a KJV-only, King James-only advocate, nonetheless, Dr. James White of Alpha and Omega Ministries makes a conclusion to this verse that supports the longer reading. So the one that shows up in your King James Version with the longer, more words, um, Dr. White believes that this is probably what Paul wrote originally. And he states, quote, The verse's second section contains a balanced statement by the Apostle, while the first contains only one side of the argument. The added material balances out the entire passage. That's in the opinion of Dr. James White, someone with more Bible degrees than I have myself. And so I lean on his interpretation, and I tend to think that that's a, a, a very valuable contribution. Indeed, a plausible conclusion that can be drawn as to whether we should prefer the longer Textus Receptus, which is known as the majority texts version, to the shorter Alexandrian minority text version can be found on this gentleman's, gentleman's uh, BibleDifferences.net blog uh, to the passage in question. And I'm not going to read the whole quote uh, for, for brevity's sake. I'll just jump down to... Um, uh, this final paragraph here, which reads, In our verse of investigation, both the internal and intrinsic criteria makes a very strong appeal toward the longer version found in the Byzantine manuscripts to be in agreement with the original and not the version found in Alexandrian manuscripts, which represents the shorter read. Uh, this gentleman goes on to say that Bruce Metzger, an expert in textual critique, pointed out that one should be aware that the original might sometimes be preserved in the Byzantine manuscripts, which is the longer read, the one that we discovered historically first, but was actually turns out to be the newer when it comes to the dating of the manuscript. So the Alexandrian is an older manuscript, but we didn't discover it until later, until more recently. We've been using the older majority texts, meaning older in, in terms of when we discovered them, but it turns out when we come, when we put the two manuscripts side by side and dated them, the Alexandrian ones are older than the, the, the majority of the Byzantine, uh, the A versus the B. And so in some case, in this case, it turns out to be that probably the, the one that we discovered, the more recent one, 
uh, and date is probably the, 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 the one that Paul originally wrote. I believe that that uh, this is one of the more prominent cases is what this gentleman says. So that's the end of my excursus there. And let me jump now, now after looking at that, as I mentioned, whether you go with the longer read or the shorter read, and, uh, you know, we look, if, if you, I'm sorry, if you, uh, in case you're curious, if you look on my screen now, the the, the the variant is very short. I mean, it's this short little bracketed part here, which in the KJV, is you, you would see that extra wording there. It talks about he who doesn't observe it, he who doesn't eat, who do, doesn't eat to the Lord, and things like that. And it's, it's a very, like I said, a very minor thought that's added, uh, whether it got chopped out in a copyist error or something like that. It doesn't change the overall perspective of what, of what Paul's trying to talk about. So having said all that, let's jump now into... Um, the main section that we're going to be looking at tonight, we won't finish this tonight. We're just going to take a bite out of it for the next five or ten minutes or so and um, uh, begin to work through this uh, this question of whether or not Paul is bringing up a Sabbath versus Sunday debate. And as I mentioned uh, earlier in my um, uh, the, the, uh, the kind of conclusion, my summary statement is that I do not believe that Paul is presenting us here in Romans 14 with a Sabbath versus Sunday choice. And part of the reasons behind that are are because Paul himself demonstrated a lifelong commitment to the written word of God as the single standard for Jewish and Gentile covenant members, particularly those in Messiah particularly those in Messiah. Paul championed Torah observance for Jews and Gentiles, as odd as that may sound to Gentile listeners to this video and this podcast, who might think, no, Paul never taught that Gentiles have to keep Torah. I beg to differ. He certainly taught Torah observance on a continued basis for Jewish believers, such as himself, but I believe it can be shown um, quite conclusively that he also championed a continued Torah observance for Gentile believers in Messiah because they had been brought into this relationship with God through the Son and therefore into a relationship uh, at a natural level with Israel. They didn't become his, they didn't become Jews, but they did become um, Israelites at a spiritual level, or we could say at a com- covenant level they became Israelites, remnant Israelites. They didn't overtake Israel. They didn't displace Israel. The church didn't. Uh, simply, it's not a zero-sum game where only one person can be Israel. Rather, Israel's borders expanded to include Gentiles from the nations, and so they are grafted into Israel. And thus, Gentile believers become a part of spiritual Israel at the remnant level. National Israel still has her blinders. She still doesn't believe in Yeshua, Messiah Yeshua. But Paul is going to champion the Torah for Israel, and to the degree that you find yourself in Israel, whether you're on the national Israel side of the house, and I think I'm going to put a little graphic here that shows the overlapping of those two circles like you've seen in the past, where i got national Israel on the left side and remnant Israel on the right. I'm sorry, uh, the Gentile nation is on the right, and they, they overlap with one another. And that slice in the middle, kind of like a, a master card logo, that little slice in the middle is remnant Israel. Gentile believers in Jesus take on the remnant Israel identification, and thus the scriptures that God gave to Israel of old applies to the church at that level. So, having said that, let's read some of this commentary. I'm working my work my way down through this. We won't finish tonight. We'll just take a little bit uh, as we go. I have to say, so the immediate oft-asked question related to these two verses is, are Christians free to worship God any day of the week? I think I've got a little, uh, short little SQSA video that I produced on this same question for my um, e-Bible uh, study that I did a few years back, and so probably next week we'll watch the little video. Are Christians free to worship God any day of the week? 
We'll see my answer in video form. Uh, I go on to say, in one sense, believers are free to worship God any day of the week, and I believe that we should be worshiping Him every day of the week, right? I think most believers, both Jewish and Gentile, would agree with me there. Um, I go on to say, however, our messianic freedom should not separate us but cause us to pursue what makes for mutual building, uh, using Paul's own wording in Romans uh, 14, verse 19. I go on to say, I can say that I've studied many varied commentaries on this passage, such as Calvin, Murray, Dunn, Lloyd-Jones, Bruce, Barth, Hendrickson, Stuhlmacher, Cranfield, Nanos, Haig, MacArthur, Stern, Lancaster, Janicki, and others. And in my estimation as a Bible student, Romans 14.5 does not seem like a likely passage teaching freedom from Sabbath worship, viz. Sabbath versus Sunday. So I don't think this is Paul's way of saying, if you want to keep Sabbath, great. But if you don't want to keep Sabbath, you're not obligated to what the Torah teaches. Again, there are manifold issues with Paul telling at least the Jews in his day that you don't have to be obligated covenantally to what God handed down through Moshe. That simply would not have been received in the Jewish communities of Paul's day. It's certainly not received in today's Jewish communities to include the Messianic Jewish communities that I'm aware of to have Paul saying, well, Sabbath keeping, kosher keeping, all of the Bible that Moses handed down is all optional whether you want to keep it in Messiah or not. That doesn't seem to be well received in any Messianic circle that I'm aware of. It only seems to be received, unfortunately, in traditional Christian communities where we've not been uh, exposed to um, a, maybe an alternate way of understanding Paul's writings. And so I'm presenting us with that, what I believe it to be uh, a better way of understanding uh, Paul's writings. I go on to say, I feel the best way to interpret verse 5 is within the larger context, and you have to read verse 6 and the rest of the chapter as well. And that would make it a verse about voluntary fast days, right? Not one day as being a Sabbath versus Sunday, but a fast day versus a non-fast day. And I base my position on a number of historical and textual clues. So let me just read down through these bullet points, and then that will draw our study to a close tonight for Romans 14. And let's turn to the um, Shema study. Here are four bullet points that help me draw some of the conclusions that I do as to why I think Paul is not presenting us, Jew and Gentile, in his day, with the option to take a vote on whether or not we should keep Sabbath versus Sunday. Here are some of them. This is not exhaustive. These are some of the highlights that come to mind. Uh, first bullet point, the Sabbath is God's covenantal sign to Israel, right? And remember, Israel, from Paul's perspective, includes remnant Israel, which I'm going to mention here in a second. But according to Exodus 31:13 and Ezekiel 20, verse 12, go back and read those passages on your own. The Gentiles grafted into remnant Israel would have had a natural association with Seventh-day Sabbath worship. Read Acts 14:1 as well as Acts 15:21, where we see um, Gentiles being brought into a relationship with God through Jesus the Messiah, but at the same time, like Paul's going to tell us in um, uh, the book of Ephesians, these Gentile believers are brought into a relationship with national Israel at the remnant Israel level. So that they're brought into the commonwealth of Israel is the verbiage Paul's going to tell us in um, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. 
Second bullet point reads, at the time the book of Romans was written, which was around 55 to 56 CE of Paul's day, first century, official, quote, Sabbath versus Sunday, end quote, debates were not extant. They just weren't existent, right? It's a little too early to be making this a Sabbath versus Sunday debate. That's not going to come around until, as I mentioned, um, uh, Sunday would not become the established Christian day of worship until a few hundred years later. So I don't think Paul would even be bringing in this uh, option uh, for us at all. It's just uh, anachronistic to say that. Uh, bullet point number three. For Paul to casually, emphasis on the word casually, recommend in one verse the personal choice to give up on Seventh-day Sabbath in favor of Sunday worship seems highly unlikely given the weight of received Torah passages, such as Exodus 31, 16 and 17, where, where Moshe tells Israel that this is a, a day of worship for Israel, between Israel and God forever. And it's a, it's a day that you should uh, continue to recognize because God is the creator. It's a sign of his creatorship. And it's a Sabbath, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of the covenant that God made. The Sabbath itself is a sign between Israel and God. And therefore, it's something that should be established, not something that should be taken up for a vote uh, by popular vote or any such thing. So it's highly unlikely that Paul would have brought the Sabbath before the communities of the first century uh, to be voted upon. And I, I go on to say the establishment of Sabbath in the Jewish communities of Paul's day, of which the sect known as the Way was a part, um, would have made it nearly improbable and nearly impossible for Paul to um, put this type of issue to a popular vote. Um, Israel wouldn't have had anything, it had any of it. It would have been nearly a stonable offense uh, for Paul to teach the abrogation of Sabbath, or at the very least, a um, uh, make it so that it's a vote, uh, you know, a, a, a voluntary issue. Go back and read Acts 24, 14 for that. And then the last bullet point for that we'll look at tonight, and we'll turn to this more next week, is that in Paul's day, thousands of Jews believed in Yeshua by the first century. The Greek actually has multiple myriads of Greek, of, of multiple thousands of of Jewish believers, and many were zealous for the Torah. Go back and read Acts 20, 21, I'm sorry, 21, 20, to see um, where I'm lifting that information. And this fact alone, I say, makes a purported, quote, personal allowance to switch from Sabbath to Sunday worship via this verse, and quote, a virtual historic improbability. And so there are four bullet points that you have. Go investigate them on your own. It's possible that this is a Sabbath versus Sunday debatable issue. But it's highly improbable, highly unlikely that this is a Sabbath versus Sunday, let's choose whichever day is best for you type of issue. So that's where we're going to be going in this particular study. Does it, does it mean that I judge people for not choosing Sabbath over Sunday? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't judge anyone. Do I look down my nose on people who choose Sunday versus Sabbath? Absolutely not. I don't look down on people for doing that as well. We're all at different places in our walk with God. We're all at different places in our Torah observance. Even Jewish people who come to a belief in Jesus are putting on Torah observance in stages and layers. And so none of us has the right to judge another believer or even another brother. We'll talk about what that means later on. Uh, for whatever amount of Torah that he's keeping or not keeping at the time. We're all at different places in our walk with God. And sometimes we're going through different stages and phases of growth in our walk with God. And so we don't have a right to judge one another. We simply have to come along 
And as we understand scriptures, maybe a little bit better than our fellow brother pew sitter, the person sitting next to us, we can come along and pull out the Bible and say, hey, brother, uh, let me show you a passage that God showed me and show you why I think this is something that's important to us as believers and why I think we should be keeping these things or why we shouldn't be keeping these things. What do you think? And then gently uh, instruct one another and help one another grow in our walk and grow in our faith because none of us is perfect. None of us has arrived. None of us has a corner store on the market of truth. And so um, that's where I'm going in this particular assessment. Omain? Omain. All right. At about 50 minutes into the study, we've got about 10 minutes left in the hour-long study. Let's close this tab. Let's turn now to uh, exploring the Shema, discussions on the issues of Trinity, and take the last 10 or 15 minutes or so to um, look at this particular study. Um, we have been working our way through a table. You can see it on my screen now. This was put together by uh, Matt Slick and Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. I didn't make up the list. It's not an exhaustive list, but it's a table that demonstrates that if you look at this question of how does Jesus fit in to the overall understanding of the nature of God, what is the makeup of Jesus when compared to God? Is Jesus made up of the same stuff that God is made up of, right? Do they share deity? Or is Yeshua simply divinity, but not deity? Can we worship him as a God in a lesser sense? Is he a little G-O-D? Is he like a mini-me, you know, like the Austin Powers um, me and the mini-me concept? I think I'll throw up a little humorous graphic and show that picture on my screen here in post-production. So you got me and then we got mini-me. Is God the me and Jesus the mini-me, right? Do we have this demigod uh, situation going on where we have a greater Yahweh and a lesser Yahweh like Rabbi uh, Moshe Koniukowski purports? Is Jesus the creature that God fashioned with his own hands, the very first creature that then came along and created everything else. Is that how we are to view Jesus like uh, Dr. Dale Tuggy and Unitarians report? Oh, interesting fact. Dr. Dale Tuggy, who, uh, who I've been interacting with, well, I haven't really been interacting with him, just been uh, uh, highlighting his particular perspective on Unitarianism in, in contrast to Trinitarianism because he's so vocal and so well represented well represented by the Unitarian perspective these days, um, uh, has a wonderful blog podcast that he's put together, and he's just very thorough, and I think he's very professional in, in his representation. Even though I disagree with his, his position of who Jesus is, he, he believes that Jesus is a creature, um, and therefore takes the approach that Jesus is not very God like we Orthodox Trinitarians do. But nevertheless, uh, I, I put together quite a few videos with his name on it and and pulling resources from him. And then just out of the blue, I think it was just last week or the week prior, he he made a comment to one of my videos. And so maybe I'll share that next week. He posted to me. He reached out to me. He's like, Tuggy here, let me tell you why I think this XYZ. And so I, I think it's interesting that someone likes it with the credentials of Dr. Dale Tuggy, right? I have no doctoral degrees or anything like that. I'm just, you know, simple little tour teacher REL. I've got a bachelor's degree, right? And that's as high as I made it. Um, uh, but uh, I don't have a master's degree, and I certainly don't have a doctor's degree, but he, he interacted with one of my videos, and he, he, of course I believe, he, obviously, he's going to challenge my perspective, but uh, we'll look at that in time, right? Isn't that neat that Dr. D Dale Tucker, I got his attention. It's a little spooky at first. I'm like, whoa, wow, did I offend him? So we'll look at that maybe next week. But nevertheless, um, the Unitarian perspective is that Jesus and God 
are um, separate when it comes to being. Using the verbiage that Dr. White is fond of saying, God is made up of one what, that is the being knows God, but he's made up of three who's, that is to say the persons of God, so one what, three who's. And so we're looking at this chart where we've got um, uh, titles of God. Father is called God in a number of passages, and then the Son is likewise called God or called deity in a number of passages, and then we're going to look at the Holy Spirit also shares the title of God in some passages. And using that kind of that logic, we work our way down through this table. We've got Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we just work our down, way down through these different uh, titles, Creator, and um, actions and attributes, you know, resurrects and dwells, uh, this person's everywhere, all-knowing, sanctifies, life-giver, things like that. And so in time, we'll work our way down through these passages. But right now, we're in Colossians 2, 9. And we're not going to make it through all of this. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. I'm th thinking we won't with only the five or ten minutes left that I'm making these. But let me kind of cut to the chase and read the passage and tell you the short answer. Again, the, the, the bluff, the B-L-U-F, the bottom line up front, otherwise known as the TLDR, the too long didn't read version. And that is that if we look at Colossians 2, 9, we can see that Paul says, for in him, speaking of Yeshua, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness. And of course, the key word for us is deity. The, um, um, as I clicked on it here, it didn't mean to, but the, the, um, theates in the Greek, the literal, the, the, the root word, uh, it's, uh, shows up as uh, uh when it's um, uh, conjugated. Oh, I'm sorry, it shouldn't be conjugation. That's a noun. It's, um, uh, 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 what do we say? Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, the form of Greek that we show up uh, uh, here, uh, decline, decline, that's what I'm looking for. Nouns are declined and verbs are conjugated. So the, the declination that we're looking at here is uh, theatetos, but the original root uh, Greek word is um, theates, and the Strong's number 2320. And this is a word that uh, happens to be, happens to only show up once in the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament. Whenever you have, we have a terminology or Greek word that only shows up once, uh, or it's very sparse in our uh, in our word studies, we call these um, uh, hapax legomena. A uh, Latin phrase that means only shows up once or something like that. Very rare phrase. And so it's hard sometimes to ascertain exactly what Paul meant since he only used it once. But according to most concordances, word studies, uh, lexicons, um, and uh, theirs and strongs and things like this, this word refers to deity. Deity. And it differs from a different Greek word that we looked at two weeks ago, theatetos, uh, which refers to divine. So when we look at the passage, for in him the, the whole fullness of deity dwells, right? And this word deity being a noun, it's like Paul is telling us that all of the stuff that God is made up of, right? This is an ontological statement I'm making. Ontology is that branch of science, metaphysics that deals with the nature of a thing. What is that thing made up, right? What is its composition? That's ontology. Paul is making an ontological statement, for in him, Yeshua, the whole fullness of the stuff that God is made up of, right, the deity that God is composed of, that dwells in Yeshua fully. And he even clarifies or qualifies, Paul does, with this word fullness, which shows up in the Greek word uh, pleroma. And so um, I mentioned two weeks ago 
that the better way to understand this passage, rather than saying that this is simply a statement of divinity, Jesus is certainly divine. Yes, he is divine, but is he deity? All right, two different Greek nouns, which, I, as I mentioned, right, one Greek noun is um, theates, Strong's number 2320, and the other Greek noun is 2305, theates, right? They sound very similar, theates, theates. Two different Greek uh, Strong's numbers, right? 2320 and 2305. And 2320 is what Paul used in Colossians there. And uh, it means deity. And 2305, which Paul uses in Romans chapter 1, means divine, right? So divinity, two different Greek words. And Paul could have uh, uh, called Yeshua divinity, but instead he called him deity. And so the bottom line, I think the walk away from uh, uh, point that is made by looking at this passage is that Paul believes that Yeshua is more than just divine. He's not just a, a glorified man. In the end, Yeshua is pre-existent. Uh, he predates his own incarnation because he's the word of God, which was eternally with God and was God, like John tells us in John 1, 1. And so in conclusion, what we can see, and we'll, we'll, we'll maybe sew this up next week, what we're going to see is that uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 9 is likely Paul's semi-summary, uh, uh, kind of semi-conclusion, to something he mentioned earlier in Colossians chapter 1, the previous chapter for Paul, starting in verse 15, and we'll look at this next week, but chapter 15 through verse, chapter 1 verse 15 through verse 20 is a miniature hymn that's been inserted into Paul's uh, letter. Perhaps Paul wrote it, perhaps didn't. Paul didn't. There's some kind of textual uh, clues as that this may not be an, an original Paul Pauline uh, um, construct. Uh, um, but nevertheless, Paul quotes this hymn, um, and he talks about how that Yeshua is exalted uh, above all things, above all creation. And down in um, verse 19, Paul says, For in him, speaking of Yeshua, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now the word God in the English actually doesn't show up in the Greek. He simply says all the fullness was pleased to dwell. Um, but uh, we're going to find that this verse here, 119, sounds very similar to 2.9. In fact, you can see the similarities. For in him the whole fullness of deity, here he used the word deity in verse uh, 19 of chapter 1, he doesn't use the word deity, but he uses some of the other similar words, the fullness, right, the pleroma, uh, and things like that. And so we'll begin to unpack some of the Greek next week, but the, the walk away is this. If you're going to hold to a what we call a low Christology uh, versus a high Christology, low Christology where you kind of downplay the deity of Yeshua and you say he's an exalted creature, the first of God's cre creations like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, like the Mormons teach, like um, Unitarians teach, like uh, Oneness Pentecostals, like some variants of them teach, like uh, Christadelphians teach, like Iglesia uh, uh, de ni, ni Cristo teach, I keep butchering that name, Iglesia Ni Cristo teach, then you're going to run into some challenges when it comes to the overall thrust of what the Word of God teaches when it comes to the exaltation of Yeshua as more than merely a creature, as sharing attributes and things like that that we're going to find as we work our way down through this table. We're going to find that we can't neatly 
put Yeshua into a category where he's simply an exalted creature. We're going to find that there are other passages, not just one here and one there, but there's passages that are, um, and I'm closing with this, passages that that are um, presented in the Apostolic Scriptures that borrow from the theology of the Old Testament, on the Tanakh, where this complex nature of God is presented to us, and we have this choice. We have God showing up in a way that leads us to the conclusions that Yeshua is this very same God that we have already become familiar with in the in the Tanakh. And so it's just that the Apostolic Scriptures make it more explicit to us. They, they, they speak in ways that are a little bit more shocking. Uh, they're more revelatory. And why not? Because God's Word has this progressive revelatory um, aspect to it where it's like a scroll unrolling and the more you unroll the more you get to read but it's not to say that it wasn't always there to begin with it's like God rolled God rolled out this I'm closing with this so just follow me God rolled out this blank scroll right to the to the limits that it could be unrolled and he wrote in everything that is determined as what we would call the Word of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He wrote out all of the, the, the canon. He wrote out the entire authoritative Word of God in this scroll. And then he rolled up the part that contains what we would say is the New Testament. He rolled it all the way up to the part that uh, uh, would be starting from right to left. He rolled it all the way up to the part where we have the beginning of this Torah scroll, which is the, the very first parts that Moshe started putting together, you know, the books of Genesis and going from there. And as the scrolls unrolling, Moshe's filling in, but in reality, in, in the heavens, God has already got it written, because God knows the end from the beginning. He's outside of space and time. He's beyond history. He knows what is written. He, his word is forever settled in heaven, we, the psalmist tells him. So it's already there, but God is allowing us to, as history unfolds, for us to to encounter it and to, to interact with it, till we finally get to the end of the scroll and we can see, oh wow, look at all of this. But in reality, it's the same God that we read about in the Tanakh that we're now rediscovering afresh in the Apostolic Scriptures in the name of Yeshua. Um, and we're, we're drawing these uh, overlapping comparisons and, and, and um, analyses, and we're coming to this conclusion that even though God is the one whose name is creator in the, in the Tanakh, we're coming to find out that actually Yeshua is that creator. His name is Yeshua, and yet he's very God, and yet they're not, it's, not ju- it's, not, it's not that Jesus is uh, uh, it's not that Jesus is the Father, right? They have, they're two separate persons, but they're one God. I mean, it, it, it's very mysterious. It's very confusing at times. It's very challenging to our theology, uh, but we're going to work our way through this. So let's close in prayer. Um, those of you with me in live class, stay with me, and we can talk some more about whatever topics you'd like to talk about. Uh, those of you watching this YouTube video, I encourage you to continue uh, following me on YouTube and um, uh, subscribe and uh, watch all the little videos. I didn't really um, uh, plug all of the aspects of my YouTube channel, but I do have the short little Shema studies. If this is what is your interest, you can uh, watch, go back and watch all the little Shema studies, each short little video, and catch up on uh, where you've missed. Okay, let's close. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for the opportunity to share with the students. I bless you, Lord, for who you are and for the way you are revealing yourself to us. It sometimes doesn't make sense to me as a 21st century modern um, thinker as to the way that the Bible is written. Yet I have to concede and realize that the Bible writers composed the writings 
uh, the way that, that you inspired them to write and you poured through their thought processes and the, the logical steps by steps, the way they uh, disseminated information. And so it doesn't always match my own modern way of organization. And so sometimes I would have organized it a little different way. I would have put all the Trinity passages all together or I would have said things a little more differently. I would have used a little more wording. I would have added a little more articulation so that I, I don't have any um, uh, equivocation or, or ambiguity or, or paradoxes or things like that. That's maybe the way I would have done it. But Lord, <laughs> thankfully, I'm not the one who wrote the Bible. So I thank you for your words. I thank you for the writers who availed themselves of your spirit and allowed you to pour through their thoughts and pin the words. And I thank you most, Ruch Kodesh, for preserving those words so that I, a modern reader, can read them, study them with certainty, and know for sure that they are trustable, that they're reliable, and that they're uh, words that I can build my life upon. Continue to bless us, Lord, and to protect us during these difficult pandemic times, during these confusing political times. Uh, Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray for those in positions of leadership. We pray for our politicians. We pray for uh, those people who are counting the, bo- the votes, counting the ballots, um, and, and doing the, the, you know, the hard work of trying to come to some answers and, and bring some clarity to, to all that's going on. Um, Lord, we are a people, we are a nation in need of a Messiah. Uh, don't give up on us, Lord. We, we look to you and we'll continue to trust in you uh, to guide us and to lead us, to direct us, and to protect us from this, uh, this plague that's, that's enveloped the whole world. And we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>